right now what we're going to do is we are going to go into God's Word. This is at the heart of of what we have as a church. We have the gift of God's Word and the gift of of the Lord's Supper that we're going to celebrate later. And I want you to know we have Bibles in the back. If you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, go get one, not only to borrow, but to take with you. Hay Biblias detrás en las mesas que pueden usar. And we're going to turn to the scripture that we're looking at today, which is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. And we're going to read verses 59 through 66. Mateo 26, 59 al 66, es la lectura de hoy. There on the screen, you'll, you'll see in a moment page numbers that are tied to those Bibles in the back. That'll get you there to where that scripture is. La página en la pantalla abajo indica donde está el texto en el, la Biblia de Español de atrás. As you're making your way there, whether you're using a phone or you're using uh, your, a, a Bible that you brought with you or one of those Bibles, I want to remind us of what we've been doing here the last few weeks in this series. We've been looking at the different story of Matthew. Estamos mirando la historia diferente de Mateo. And we're looking at two chapters every week. Every week we're trying to understand a two-chapter section. Cada semana miramos una sección de dos capítulos. So today we're looking at chapter 25 and 26 of Matthew and uh, we want you to have your Bibles ready because I'm going to be referring to different parts that we aren't reading, and hopefully you can kind of look at those now and later. Uh, espero referirme a otras partes del capítulo 25 y 26, que son el enfoque de hoy. So I'm going to read first in Spanish, leo primero en español, and then in English. This is the word of the Lord for us today, la palabra del Señor. Los jefes de los sacerdotes y el consejo en pleno buscaban alguna prueba falsa contra Jesús para poder condenarlo a muerte, pero no la encontraron a pesar de que se presentaron muchos falsos testigos. Por fin se presentaron dos que declararon, este hombre dijo, puedo destruir el templo de Dios y reconstruirlo en tres días. Poniéndose en pie, el sumo sacerdote le dijo a Jesús, no vas a responder ¿Qué significan estas denuncias en tu contra? Pero Jesús se quedó callado. Así que el sumo sacerdote insistió, te ordeno en el nombre del Dios viviente que nos digas si eres el Cristo, el Hijo de Dios. Tú lo has dicho, respondió Jesús. Pero yo les digo a todos, de ahora en adelante verán ustedes al Hijo del Hombre sentado a la derecha del Todopoderoso y viniendo en las nubes del cielo. Ha blasfemado, exclamó el sumo sacerdote rascándose las vestiduras, ¿para qué necesitamos más testigos? Miren, ustedes mismos han oído la blasfemia, ¿qué piensan de esto? Merece la muerte, le contestaron. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, It is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. 
Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. So here in this scripture that we've just read, we find a key question. Hay una pregunta clave aquí. And I say it's a key question because I believe that this question unlocks for us something. It unlocks for us really what is the message of Matthew chapter 25 and Matthew chapter 26. Esa pregunta abre el mensaje de Mateo 25 y 26. The key question is that question that the high priest put before the other Jewish religious leaders of the Jewish council or Sanhedrin. La pregunta del sumo sacerdote, sacerdote ante el consejo. It's a simple question. What do you think? ¿Qué piensan de esto? Now to give us a little bit of background of how that question comes up, uh, Jesus here has gone through that night of the upper room and the Lord's Supper and then the time praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers have come, the Roman soldiers with the Jewish leaders and they've arrested Jesus and they have then brought him in the middle of, a ni- of the night to this Jewish ruling council for interrogation. It's not a formal trial, but it is an interrogation. Han arrestado a Jesús en Getsemaní y lo traen ante el concilio, el consejo judío, para interrogarle. And in that interrogation, there are false witnesses that are trying to, to get Jesus pinned down with a certain charge. Hay falsos testigos. It doesn't work. And so finally, the high priest puts it to Jesus, point blank, tell us who you are. Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? Dice su sacerdote, dinos si eres el Mesías, el Hijo de Dios. And Jesus finally says something and says, yes, it's what you say it is. I am that Messiah. Así lo es. And from now on, you're going to see the Son of Man. That is, you're going to see me coming on the clouds of heaven, seated on the right hand of the Almighty. I will be the ruling king. De ahora en adelante verán al Hijo del Hombre a la derecha del Todopoderoso y viniendo sobre las nubes. And it's at that point that the high priest then tears his robes in two. This is a classic sign of Jewish anger and grief. It's like anger and grief together. Rip. Se rasca las vestiduras en luto en enojo. He says, we don't even need false witnesses. We don't even need to drum up charges. We've got it in front of us. This is blasphemy. It's a blasphemia. And then at that point, he turns to the rest of the council and asks that question. What do you think? ¿Qué piensan de esto? In other words, what do you make of this Jesus? What is your verdict regarding him? ¿Qué es su veredicto en cuanto a él? And I think that question is not only the question that, that helps us to understand chapters 25 and 26. I think that question is the question that really helps us to understand the entire gospel of Matthew. This is a central question that Matthew puts to us in a sense. Es la pregunta central de todo Mateo. And we go back to chapter 16. We find something similar going on. Algo parecido en el capítulo 16. Jesus, in a sense, puts this question before his disciples. He says, who do people think I am? 
What do people think of me? ¿Qué piensa la gente que soy yo? And the disciples answer, well, some say you're uh, John the Baptist, others think you're Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Dicen que eres Elías, Juan el Bautista, Jeremías, uno de los profetas. And then in chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus puts the question more plainly. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Pero ustedes quien dicen que soy yo, dice Jesús. In other words, what do you think of me? What is your verdict concerning me? ¿Qué piensan de esto? ¿Qué es su veredicto? When we think about it, everything, everything rises or falls depending on our answer to that one question. What do you think of Jesus? What is your verdict? Todo depende de la respuesta a esa pregunta. ¿Qué piensan de Jesús? And really, I think that is what comes out. Uh, that's really what Jesus is trying to tell us in chapter 25 through three consecutive parables. If we analyze those parables, we realize they're, they're asking that question. What do you think? Hay tres parábolas que traen ese mensaje. First, there's this parable of what's called the ten virgins. A la parábola de las diez jóvenes. There's a wedding, and the bridegroom, the groom, is coming to the wedding feast. Hay un banquete de boda, and there are ten young women that are waiting anxiously for this wedding feast. Hay diez jóvenes esperando la fiesta. It's in the middle of the night, which evidently was pretty common in those days to have wedding feasts in the middle of the night. Está en la madrugada, and Five of those young women are wise young women. Cinco son sabias. They have stored up extra oil for their lamps so that when the bridegroom comes, they can see him in the dark and he can see them and by being seen, they can get into the feast. Cinco tienen aceite de extra para ver al novio para que el novio las vea ellas así pueden entrar. But five of the young women are foolish They don't have extra oil. Cinco no tienen aceite de extra, son insensatas. Now, what's the difference? What's really the difference between those two groups, the five wise ones and the five foolish ones? ¿Cuál es la diferencia entre esos dos grupos? Well, you see, the five wise young women think so much, they think so highly of the groom. And they think so much of this occasion, that this occasion is so important that they are more than ready for the groom to come. Las cinco sabias piensan tanto del novio de la ocasión, están más que listas. The five foolish ones, it's evident by their behavior, they don't think much of the groom. And they don't think much of the occasion. So they're not ready. Las cinco insensatas no piensan mucho del novio o de la ocasión. Jesus is saying, I'm the groom. What you think of me, your verdict concerning me, is going to be tied to your destiny, whether you enter The banquet or not, yo soy el novio. Lo que piensan de mí está atado a, a su destino si entra en el banquete o no. 
And we find something similar going on in the next parable, what's been called the parable of the talents, después de la parábola de las monedas de oro. We have a, a wealthy man, a, a rich man who goes away on a journey, un señor rico va de viaje, and he entrusts to three of his servants a, a large quantity of his wealth in bags of gold, or what are called talents, comienda tres siervos, talentos, o bolsas y monedas de oro. Now, some Bible scholars think that a talent was worth about 15 years worth of salary. Un talento a lo mejor valía 15 años de salario. Now, you think about that, one talent is 15 years of salary. That's a lot of money. It, it's a lot. It's your whole life in 15 years. And mucho. And he gives to some servants more, and he gives to some servants less. Each according to their ability, da algunos más y otros menos, and then he goes away. Two of the servants take that money and they immediately dedicate their entire lives to putting that money to work and they actually end up doubling the quantity of what they've been given. Dos de los siervos se dedican a doblar la cantidad que se les fue dada. But one servant hides it in the dirt. Otro lo entierra en el polvo. What's the difference between the two? ¿Cuál es la diferencia? Two of the servants think so much of the master. They respect and honor and love the master so much. They are willing to risk everything to put that money to work and to dedicate their lives to him. Dos piensan tanto y honran y respetan al Señor que se dedican y se arriesgan las vidas. What does the other one think? The other one thinks that his boss is a demanding and devious twerp who's put him in a bind and he's afraid. And so he hides it away and tries to get by with the minimum. El otro piensa que su patrón es demandón y tramposo, así que esconde su moneda. And the point of the parable then is this. What you think of the master, your verdict concerning the master is going to influence the way that you live your life. Su veredicto en cuanto al Señor influye en como vives. If you think he's wonderful, you're going to give your life to him. If you think he's terrible, you won't. And not only that, Your verdict concerning the master in the end will influence the verdict of the master concerning you. Su veredicto en cuanto al Señor influye en el veredicto del Señor hacia ti. It will determine whether the master says you are a good and faithful servant or a wicked and lazy servant. Determina si eres bueno y fiel o malvado y perezoso. And then we go on. There's the third parable, which is sometimes called the parable of the sheep and the goats, la parábola de las ovejas y las cabras. We have this great scene of the end of time with all of the nations gathered before the king. Las naciones están ante el rey, and the king separates out the good and the bad, like, like a shepherd separates sheep from goats. The sheep are the good, the, the goats are the bad. Las ovejas son los buenos y las cabras los malos. And many of us are familiar with this parable and often uh, the traditional reading, the traditional understanding 
of that parable is that the good people are the ones who, who helped the poor, who gave to the poor, and the bad people are the ones who didn't. Los buenos son los que ayudaron a los pobres, supuestamente, y los malos son los que no lo hicieron. The least of these. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and swim against that current. There's a couple problems I see with that. One problem is that would seem to go against what the rest of the Bible teaches us, and the Bible clearly teaches us in other places and other parts, that we do not gain entrance into God's eternal kingdom on the basis of our good works. No entramos en el cielo basado en nuestras buenas obras. It's not how many poor people you helped that will get you into heaven. You could help all the poor in the world and then some, and you would not be admitted on that basis. No hay misión basado en ayudar a los pobres. The problem has to do with the definition of the least of these. What is that? Look at Matthew 25:40. Mateo 25, 40. In Matthew 25, 40, Jesus says this, The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, you did for me. El rey les responderá, les aseguro que todo lo que le hicieron por uno de mis hermanos, aun por el más pequeño, lo hicieron por mí. Who are the least of these, my brothers? ¿Quiénes son los hermanos los más pequeños? Well, increasingly, Bible scholars are saying this is not talking about the poor specifically. No se trata de los pobres, dicen académicos. It's not that the Bible doesn't talk about that. The Bible says, yes, we should help the poor. That's a good thing. It's bueno ayudar a los pobres. So don't go home and say, Pastor Russ says, don't help poor people. No. It's, it's not that. Okay? And Jesus himself says we should care for the poor in other places. En otros lugares dice Jesús que debemos cuidar de los pobres. But if we look back in Matthew, I think there are some clues that Bible scholars have given us. And one of those clues is in Matthew 12, 50, Mateo 12, 50. Jesus says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Mi hermano, mi hermana, mi madre son los que hacen la voluntad de mi Padre que está en el cielo. Who are Jesus' brothers and sisters? Those who do the will of God. Those who believe in him, follow him, obey him. Los que hacen la voluntad de Dios y los siguen. Son los hermanos de Jesús. And then a few pages later in Matthew 18, Mateo 18, in verse 10, Jesus says, See to it that you don't look down on one of these little ones, one of the least of these. Miren que no menosprecen a uno de estos pequeños. Who are the little ones being referred to there? Well, if you look at the context, the little ones are children of God. People who are part of Jesus' family. Son los hijos de Dios. And then a few verses later in verse 14, versículo 14, after Jesus has told this parable about the lost sheep coming back into the fold, he says, in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these 
little ones, the least of these, should be lost. Así que el Padre de ustedes que está en el cielo no quiere que se pierda ninguno de estos pequeños. Who are the least of these? Who are the little ones in this context? It's talking about the lost sheep who've come back. God does not want his sheep to, to go away. He wants his children, he wants his followers to be with him. Dios quiere que sus seguidores estén con él. It's talking about believers, followers, who do the will of God. These are the brothers. And in Matthew 25, what, what scholars would tell us is that this is talking about the poor. Yes, the poor followers of Jesus who are taking his message into the world and who are being beaten down and persecuted and rejected and, and, and put in prison and naked because of their faith. Those are the least of these, my brothers. Los más pequeños, los hermanos, son los mensajeros de Jesús que llevan su mensaje y son abatidos y oprimidos por su fe. And so Jesus is saying, what you think of my messengers, your verdict concerning these brothers and sisters of mine who are sharing my message, what you think of them is your thinking of me. What you do to them is what you do to me. What you don't do to them is what you don't do to me. Your verdict of them is really your verdict of me. Lo que piensan de estos hermanos que llevan mis mensajes es lo que piensan de mí. Su veredicto sobre mí. Your acceptance of them or your rejection of them is going to be tied to my father's verdict of you because to reject them is to reject me to accept them is to accept me aceptar a ellos es aceptarme a mí you see salvation has to do with our verdict about Jesus la salvación tiene que ver con el veredicto en cuanto a Jesús so so who are the least of these brothers and sisters in our day and age ¿Quiénes son los hermanos los más pequeños hoy en día? You saw the video, right? That's the least of these, my brothers and sisters. Persecuted Christians who lay their lives on the line, hungry, naked, imprisoned, rejected, For their faith. Son los cristianos que, que se arriesgan dando sus vidas perseguidos, aprisionados, desnudos y hambrientos por su fe. And what we think of them is really connected to what we think of Jesus. Lo que pensamos de ellos se conecta con lo que pensamos de Jesús. So there's a lot to think of and to think about in these three parables, but Here's the deal as we get to chapter 26 and we come back to the scripture that we just read in chapter 26. When Jesus is before the council, Jesús está ante el consejo, it would appear as we look at this that, that Jesus is on trial. Jesús está ante el tribunal. But, but in light of what we've just read and talked about, here's the deal. Jesus is not on trial. We are. Nosotros estamos ante el tribunal. And our verdict 
concerning Jesus, our verdict concerning Jesus' message, our verdict even concerning Jesus' messengers is a matter of life and death because our verdict of Jesus is tied to our verdict before the Father. Nuestro veredicto en cuanto a Jesús se ata a nuestro veredicto ante el Padre. So, you've heard the testimony, what do you think? That's the question we have to answer. What do you think of Jesus? ¿Qué pensar de Jesús? What are we to think? In chapter 26, there are, there are some things that I think we can point to to say these are clues as to what we are to think of Jesus. What are we to think of Jesus? We are to honor Him. Debemos honrarlo. Like the woman in chapter 26, verse 7, the woman from Bethany who anoints his head with oil before his burial and, and weeps before him. This is the way we're to honor Jesus. You can see what she thinks of him in that story. Debemos honrar a Jesús como la mujer que unge su cabeza con aceite antes de su entierro. What are we to think of Jesus? We are to believe what Jesus tells the disciples in the upper room as he's with them eating the Passover meal debemos creer lo que dice sus discípulos en el aposento alto and he basically says to them I am the Lamb of God I'm the Passover Lamb I'm the meaning of this meal I'm going to give my body and my blood for the sins of the world. Yo soy el cordero de Pascua que doy mi cuerpo y sangre por los pecados. Eat this bread, drink this cup, celebrate this Passover meal in remembrance of me. Are we ready to do that? Do we believe that? That's the question. Hagan esto, tomen de este pan y de esta copa en memoria de mí. So we honor Jesus, we're to believe in Jesus. And then finally, the other clue I find is in Gethsemane itself. I believe that we are to recognize that what Jesus says to his Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, that's really our confession. That's what we're to say to Jesus. Lo que Jesús dice a su Padre es lo que debemos decir a Jesús. As he's sweating drops of blood before the impending doom of the cross, he simply says, Father, may your will be done. Hágase tu voluntad, dice el Padre. See, what we think of Jesus isn't just up here in our minds. Like, oh yeah, I think Jesus is God and I think he's a great person. And yeah, I think he died for me. No, it's something that we think with our lives. We think it by the way we honor Jesus. We think it by the way we diligently use our lives to, to, to lay them on the line for Jesus, to show what we believe in Him. And we, we do it by laying out our lives to say, this is your will, Jesus. I want to do your will. Every day, we're showing by our lives what we think of Jesus, whether we really believe Him or not. Estamos mostrando la vida diaria si creemos en Jesús o no. And finally, I think we also need to recognize something else. And that's the terrible irony of this whole scene. The question in verse 66 that the high priest asks, hay que reconocer la ironía de esta pregunta. He says, 
you've heard the blasphemy. Han escuchado la blasfemia. What blasphemy? It's not blasphemy if it's true. But he says, you've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? What's your verdict? ¿Cuál es su veredicto? Now get this, in this scene, the sinners in the room, the ones who deserve the guilty verdict and the ones who deserve death in this room are the very ones who stand in judgment of the innocent one and say, he deserves death. He is worthy of death. He's guilty, liable, tied to death. Los únicos pecadores aquí son los que pronuncian juicio sobre el inocente. Dicen, él merece la muerte, está culpable. Is that ironic? I find that so ironic. The Messiah, the rightful king, the true high priest, the, the truthful prophet, the true lamb of God, the messenger of eternal life is treated as if he were a messenger of death. Al mensajero de vida eterna, el, el Pascua, el Cordero de Pascua, lo tratan como mensajero de muerte. And why is that? Why is Jesus treated like this? Because here's the deal. Jesus is not on trial. We are. Jesús está ante el tribunal, pero somos nosotros. He is standing in our place. Jesus takes upon himself in that place the guilty verdict that is due to us. Él recibe el veredicto de culpable que se nos debe a nosotros. And not only does he stand in our place and receive the guilty verdict that we deserve, but he also is going to go and take the sentence that we deserve, the death penalty, dying and taking upon himself the punishment due to us for our sins. Él toma también la sentencia de la pena de muerte por nuestros pecados. And this is so ironic, but this is so good. This is the good news. So, the real question, again, we come back to it, is what do you think? ¿Qué piensan de esto? What do you make of Jesus Christ? What's your verdict? ¿Cuál es su veredicto en cuanto a Jesús? He's the Messiah. He's, the, he's God's message of salvation and deliverance in the flesh. To reject Him is death. To accept him is eternal life now and forevermore. Rechazarlo en muerte, aceptarlo en vida eterna ahora y adelante. That's the question that we all must answer. So how do you want to respond today? ¿Cómo quieren responder? In just a few moments, we have an opportunity for one of the responses that is possible today. That response is the Lord's Supper. Tenemos la Santa Cena. In the Lord's Supper, we, in a sense, come to this table and we say, by taking part in this supper, what we're saying is that we agree with God's verdict concerning our sin. We are sinners deserving of death. Decimos aquí que somos culpables y merecemos la muerte, but 
Jesus Christ has taken the verdict in our place. And he is the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us. And by eating this bread and, and drinking of the cup, we are opening up not only our mouths and our stomachs, but our lives to accept this great gift of Jesus Christ. Jesús es el Cordero de Pascua que dio su vida y abrir la boca y, y recibir esto. Estamos recibiendo por fe lo que Cristo hizo por nosotros. And in a sense we're saying, what I think of Jesus is he's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my only comfort in life and death. Él es mi Señor y Salvador. And I am going to be all about following Him. I'm going to be all about taking my talents and my gifts and my life, my everyday life, and I'm going to put it on the line for Jesus. And I'm going to risk it. I'm not going to bury it. I'm going to be a part of one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, and I want my whole life to be a message to the world. Even if it, it means I get persecuted and beat down and, and discriminated against, I want to share Jesus with people. That's what we're saying. Yo quiero dar mi vida, mis talentos para servir al Señor y dar su mensaje como uno de estos más pequeños hermanos. So if you think that Jesus Christ is the, who he says he is and he stood in, stood in your place, come to this table. Vengan a esta mesa, si así es su veredicto de Jesús. The other response that I want to invite you to is simply to pray. Les invito a orar. And you may not be sure where your verdict is with Jesus today. And you may need some prayer on that. A lo mejor ocupan oración en cuanto a eso. We're going to set up in this corner back here. We're going to have a prayer corner. And as we get ready for the Lord's Supper, we're going to have some people back there that are willing to pray with you and to pray through that. Maybe you're, maybe you're not sure if you have trusted in Christ and you want to do that. We have people back there that will be willing to pray with you. Some of our leaders and prayer partners are going to be back there. Tenemos un rincón ahí donde pueden ir para recibir oración. Maybe you simply want to get ready for the Lord's Supper and you've got something you want to confess before the Lord. You can go to that place. But here's the other thing I want to add to this as we pray. I want to invite us today to pray not only for ourselves, but for persecuted Christians. Quiero que oremos por los cristianos perseguidos. And really through this whole month of October, I'm hoping we can have this in mind. This is a time of year when many people do pray for persecuted Christians. And that we're not just thinking of ourselves, but we're praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ who suffer way more than we do. Espero que podamos orar también por los cristianos. So what do you think? Jesus deserves our honor. He deserves our faith. He deserves our will. He deserves our praise. He deserves all the glory and way, way more. Él merece la honra, la fe nuestra, la voluntad nuestra, la alabanza, la gloria. Él merece todo.